Hi, everybody. I'm George, and welcome to the Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a great film critic and a co-host of the excellent podcast, Latinx Lens. Rosa Parra is here. Welcome, Rosa. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, why don't you tell the people at home a little bit about your show? Uh, yeah. So just like you said, I'm, I'm Rosa Parra. I am co-founder and co-host of Latinx Lens, a podcast and website dedicated to highlighting uh, Latinx representation and contribution in film and television. So yeah, what we do, we just try to uh, dedicate an episode. We alternate between actors and directors. And between those episodes, we also review films because we, we also view more movies than just the Latinx centric and, and created movies so in terms of that yeah we, we we just try to to give our own perspective and and just we just love talking about film and, and tv so and yeah. that's really all you can ask for yes. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. so when i reached out to you to see if you wanted to come on this show you mentioned yeah. that horror is not something that's really your focus correct so i'm curious about your experience with horror and if there was Maybe something that scared you away from it growing up or, you know, what the kind of things that might draw you in and intrigue you more about modern horror as opposed to, Mm -hmm. you know, some stuff that might have passed you by. Yes. So as a as a little girl and and there's a reason why I I selected uh, the film that we're going to discuss in particular, particularly the telling of that story uh, certainly left uh, an everlasting (laughs) traumatic effect (laughs) on me. And then also seeing um, just bits and pieces. Of, of the exorcist at a very young age <laughs> was also quite traumatic so ever That'll since <laughs> yeah yeah it was quite traumatic so ever, ever since then uh, what whatever movie you can place the horror label to it i just i guess unconsciously traumatically <laughs> just <laughs> look away from it and and try not to make it a priority at the time but yeah it's just been lately where i've been slowly and when i mean slowly i mean very slowly <laughs> i've been trying to uh, open myself again to to the genre and um, get the temperature of the pool you know yeah, go in yeah. slowly yes exactly is there a subgenre within horror that you tend to like where you're like oh i hate monsters but there's something about like witches that appeals to me mm-hmm. and maybe i'm a little more likely to see this movie mm-hmm. oh subgenre i think i am more inclined to watch uh something that's more of a psychological horror yeah and of course if it has a social commentary that that'd be more um uh, I'd be more inclined to watch it. But sure. yes, if, if it has to do with uh, slasher films or anything like that, <laughs> I, I probably would not uh, be able to get in there. But yeah, I, I think um, doing Latinx Lens, we we did an episode recently on Guillermo del Toro and, and the way he has approached the genre and at some point even bended and yeah. kind of switched um what's been already cemented as your typical horror elements and in the film industry has certainly um, opened up (laughs) the the opportunity for me to watch horror movies again. So yeah, slowly but surely I'm getting in there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Just recently watching anything that's more of a psychological horror has been my, 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 my cup of tea. That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, uh, Del Toro is really what a a visionary. It's incredible the way that he, really just kind of takes the little bits of horror from all over and just says, I'm going to mash these up into uh, my own unique voice 
Um, and it's, it's always so spectacular looking and he, he just has such a vision. He's really spectacular. Yes. And, uh, we recently also did an episode talking about the film we're going to talk right now. And we, we did found like little bits and pieces. We're not entirely sure, but we, we were able to make some connections between the film and having some of that, del toro print into it. So yes, what, what he's done for, for the industry and for the genre in particular has certainly been fascinating. Definitely. And uh, I don't see any reason to beat around the bush any longer. We're getting in early on this one, folks. We're talking about La Llorona, released internationally in late 2019, but became available for uh, non-festival U.S. audiences in August of 2020. Now, to be very clear, this is not The Curse of La Llorona, the sixth movie in the Conjuring franchise, also Mm -hmm. released in 2019. Very, very different movie. Uh, Rather, this is the Guatemalan release, directed and co-written by uh, Jero Bustamante, along with Lissandra Sanchez as the other writer. And this movie is really interesting because it takes La Llorona and brings it into uh, a more modern age using the classic ghost story as a base to create a story that functions both as political and historical commentary while still bringing the eerie ghost story along with it. Yes. How, how, how brilliant is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's something that's really fascinatingly almost unique to, the, to yeah. use this incredible ghost story that has such deep roots and such deep tradition mm-hmm. and really place it in such an immediate current time and place is, uh, is really something else. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's what fascinates me about this film and, and why I think it's one of the best horror films out there. It's, of course, it's not your uh, mainstream horror film that's there to entertain you. If you're looking for a horror jump scare, this is not it. <laughs> um, th- th- this has more of a deeper, more complex approach uh, to to the story. And the story within itself is so complex. And, and the mm-hmm. fact that Jairo Bustamante was able to incorporate so many layers and on top of that to bring a legendary ghost like, like La Llorona <laughs> into it and to just make it, like you said, so unique, make it his own. Uh, it, it's something that I, I, to be honest, I rewatched it right before we started this recording and I'm still blown away by it because <laughs> it's just unbelievable what, what they were able to, to accomplish with this. And on top of that, uh, his film making technique, the, 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 um, approach he took, the, the camera shots, the, the slowly closing in and closing mm-hmm. out, it's just all again. I'm geeking out over this because <laughs> it's just so, amazing in general on so many levels yeah well it definitely deserves it but i do want to give a little bit of a history lesson for Mm -hmm. people out there i did this with our dr strangelove episode as well where i think that this movie really benefits from having an understanding of sort of the path that leads to it in history so uh, i'll go through and uh my understanding of the path to uh kind of where la llorona takes off in the 1950s, American interventionism was in full swing, and Dwight D. Eisenhower had established John Foster Dulles as his Secretary of State. Now, there's two things that people need to know about John Foster Dulles, and that's one, he hated communism, and two, <laughs> Alan Dulles was his brother and on the board of the United Fruit Company, which had a lot of governmental influence at the time, 
Um, the brother of the assistant secretary of state was formerly the president of the United Fruit Company, and their principal lobbyist was married to Eisenhower's personal secretary. Up to this point, Jorge Ubico had been the dictator of Guatemala and intensified the relationship started with the United Fruit Company under Manuel Estrada Cabrera, taking lands away from indigenous peoples and creating a police state and removing labor regulations. Eventually, people had enough and enacted the October Revolution in 1944, which overthrew Ubico and began the 10 years of spring, a time in Guatemala where a uh, progressive populist party was enacting social reform, including a successful literacy campaign and a largely free election process, which, of course, the U.S. did not like, but communist parties were still technically banned, so they let things lie. But in 1951, however, after a landslide victory in a democratic election, uh, Jacobo Arbenz took power in Guatemala, and he took these reforms even further, including Decree 900, which was a land reform program where areas of uh, 1,700 large landholdings that weren't being cultivated were uh, expropriated in return for government bonds and redistributed to around 500,000 families, one-sixth of the country's population, most of whom were indigenous. So this is a huge deal, this program. And one of the landholders that, that sort of took a beating on this is the United Fruit Company, who owned 550,000 acres, a whopping 42% of Guatemala's farmable land. And they got $627,500 in compensation, which was the amount that they claimed the land was worth for tax purposes. But all of a sudden, <laughs> they started claiming it was worth just under $16 million. Funny how that works when all of a sudden they're, they're not having to pay tax on it. Right. And so even though the goal of the legislation was to move Guatemala's economy from pseudo-feudalism into capitalism, uh, United Fruit started whispering in our government's ear that, hey, get a load of this commie, he's going to align with the Soviet bloc. And so the U.S. State Department said, uh, yes, daddy money bags, (laughs) and worked to destabilize the country, organizing a coup that led to the Guatemalan Civil War from 1960 to 1996 where the U.S.-backed military committed a host of atrocities, including the genocide of the indigenous Maya people and a litany of human rights violations against civilians and leftist insurgents alike. A substantial portion of this started in 1975 after the group Guerrilla Army of the Poor assassinated a prominent landowner to which the military government responded with killings and repression. And then after a protest, the military opened fire on a crowd killing between 30 and 106 people in an act known as the Massacre at Ponzos in 1978, which escalated the military response, which continued to perform just absolutely heinous acts, culminating in Jose Efrain Rios Mont uh, launching Operation Victoria 82 on April 20th, 1982. We're almost done, folks. I promise. (laughs) Victoria 82 was intended to destroy guerrilla forces through scorched earth tactics, eventually labeled as genocide by a 1999 UN Truth Commission, which led to Mont being the first person charged with genocide by his own country's judicial system. And he died in custody in uh, 2018. Now, the reason that we need to know all of this as it relates to this movie is that La Llorona is basically the story of late in life Rios Mont affixed 
to the ghost story classically about a woman who weeps for her children, which she drowned in a blind jealousy when she saw her husband cheating on her and then herself out of guilt. And the way that he manages to create something that like I, so this, this was the second time that I watched this movie and I had heard that this was pretty steeped in history when I, the first time I watched it. And so I did like a kind of uh, cursory like glance over the Wikipedia article or whatever to, to, to look it up. And I enjoyed the movie the first time, but really digging into the, to the history of Guatemala and how much people had been through there and, and sort of the path that it had taken and, and the amount of external pressure from the U S that had led to that point, it really took this movie to another level for me. You know, I, I had already really enjoyed it, but seeing how much of history had led specifically to that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just really, it blew me away in a way that, you know, there are a lot of movies that are reliant on cultural context and, and historical knowledge, but this is a story that doesn't get told very often. It was, it's called the silent Holocaust because so few people hear about this. And the way that he utilizes the whales of La Llorona to get people's attention, seeking to draw focus to this silent Holocaust and the varying levels of complicity from the top down is, is shocking in such an incredible way. Yes. And well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for going out of your way to actually dig into the history of it, because it's certainly, again, it, it, I knew portions of it. I did not know the extent of it. And after mm-hmm. listening to all of this, it, it does certainly give it a new perspective. And so again, thank you, because it, it yeah. certainly it helps a lot uh, in terms of the film. But also uh, in terms of, of La Llorona herself, the legend itself, which is one of the very few pre-colonial stories that still exists, that at the time, according to the director, and I'm quoting him, um, in the story of the Mesoamerican people, La Llorona was a kind of princess of divinity, almost like a superhero who cries because she has visions of the future. However, after, uh, of course, colonialism occurred, they turned and, and somehow um, made the legend and this uh, uh, the, the myth uh, made her more misogynistic. Uh, so it, it, they turned her into, yes, she she killed her kids because she was jealous and then and, and her husband and so on and so forth, which is something to be quite frank with you that I did not know until just recently as well. Yeah, and and it's always been fascinating uh, to, to once you do go down that rabbit hole, you go quite deep, and then the things you can <laughs> learn and how things do evolve and they do change um, based yeah, on tell all the time, you know that exactly uh, the way that men sort of shift the stories and uh, and stuff to serve themselves. Exactly. Um, so to see that imply and the fact that he knew this, and now that I get a chance to uh, see the movie and see the legend itself or see the La Llorona um, depicted this way where yeah. you don't you don't hear anything about her husband or all we hear is that she did have kids and they died and that's it uh, we, we don't hear anything about her drowning anybody or anything like that which is again something that's very fascinating and, and certainly puts a different form of perspective to it but yeah it, it's quite 
frustrating um, to because at the moment, just to give you a little bit of context, I'm working on on several <laughs> degrees. <laughs> I'm working on my Chicano Chicana studies, and I'm doing a minor on Native American studies. And everything that I've read and everything that I've come to learn, and these are just textbooks, and 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 a lot of them, of course, are written by uh, Native Americans, their families, their history, their roots, and just to read everything that's happened, the history, historical context of it. Yeah. It's quite, it, it's eye-opening, but at the same time, it's so heartbreaking and so unfortunate. And the, when I learned about the, the, the indigenous genocide, particularly uh, above, within the Mayan community, was just mind-boggling because we don't yeah. know any of this. Nobody knows this. <laughs> Nobody, <laughs> this is one, unfortunately, one of those genocides that's rarely talked about. It's very rarely discussed. Not to say that this is the battle of the genocides and who has it worse or anything like that. It's not, not about that. It's just that, unfortunately, indigenous people, again, they always get the short end of the stick. And yeah. it's infuriating at times. But luckily, again, uh, th- this is one of the very few films that, which is why it's one of my, one of my favorites because I think it's very important again on yeah. the historical context and uh, it's it's commentary uh, the the social narrative it has is one that's worth noting. I, I totally agree and I think that it is important. I think that that's a great word for it because you know so much of people's attempts to cover things up. Yeah, pe- people don't pay attention in school all the time. You know, it's sort of a history is written by the winners kind of kind of thing and and for for someone to be able to say like no that's that's not going to be the case like we're going to get this story out there and we're going to tell it in such an impactful way that really speaks to people and sort of uses the guise of a genre film to tell this really important story and sort of like sneak it in front of people and and make sure that people do understand and 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 you know maybe it doesn't tell you every single thing so that you do have to go look it up and 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 learn a little more about it and i think that his quote about uh la llorona and Mm -hmm. she really is she's so like on the side of justice in this Mm -hmm. movie and she really is sort of like this avenging force in in such a positive way and I think that that's, that's really awesome that he is sort of trying to shift it back away from, from this misogynistic uh, representation of her sort of being blinded by jealousy. Yes. I, I think that that's, that's really spectacular. And, um, and this movie does such a good job because it would be one thing if it was just an important story. But the fact that it manages to tell this important story while also being a genuinely affecting film and incredibly well composed on a technical level Mm -hmm. it's just staggering that he's able to to pull all these things together right which shows the importance of of representation not only in terms of on screen but behind the screen behind the camera it does matter who's telling these stories because again this is not the first time we see a uh, a retelling of this uh, legendary ghost we've seen it before but we we've seen it through a different lens. Yeah. Uh, so to see it this way, it certainly gives it, it it's, it's just, I just love it. <laughs> just yeah, love yeah. it, love it, love it. Yeah. And I think it's worth pointing out that not just a different perspective, but usually an appropriative 
perspective. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually white people <laughs> who are who are telling the story and and sort of misrepresenting it. But as far as this movie, budget and box office return are kind of difficult to find, compounded by the fact that it was released in the U.S. during COVID and distributed by Shudder, which, by the way, you can still find it if you want to check it out. I highly recommend you do so. But the $300,000 international box office that I found listed doesn't really reflect the actual success of this movie, especially because as far as reception goes, it was positive. Uh, There was some pushback on its use of sort of minimalism in terms of scares, uh, opting to create more of like an intense and oppressive atmosphere, especially through the sound. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there's so many different kinds of horror that this, I think that this totally fits right in. And uh, I I don't know, the minimalism doesn't bother me at all. (laughs) Right. It obviously doesn't bother me. Otherwise it wouldn't. (laughs) Yeah. But also, excitingly, we join a story in progress because not only was La Llorona recently nominated for a 2021 International Feature Film Golden Globe, it was also recently announced as one of the 15 entrants on the shortlist for the Academy Award in the same category. So keep an eye out. It just might be an Oscar winner. Yes, I am rooting for this film. Um, It certainly has my full support. I've been raving and talking about this film. I was certainly upset that I just recently watched it a few months ago and not necessarily back when it came out um, last year. Because if it did, it certainly would have easily, without a doubt, made my top 10 of 2020. um, Yeah, without a doubt. So to see it, to see that it's um, Guatemala's representation and to see it on the on the shortlist for, for the Academy Awards. I, I do hope. I do hope it gets it goes all the way. I, I know it's been getting some recognition and some love um, yeah. from the smaller critic circles. Uh, and I, I just hope it does. I just hope it it, uh, it wins everything. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. No, I, I really agree. I mean I've, I've seen a handful of the movies on the list. Uh, Another Round and A Son from mm-hmm. uh, Taiwan were two of the other ones that I had seen. And they're both great movies in their own right. But the balancing act that this movie is pulling off while also being just a, a, a great a movie that you enjoy watching, like it's just so well done. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it does deserve that international oscar for at least from the ones that i've seen you know it's, it's a long list but i i have a hunch <laughs> yes i i've seen a few i've also watched another round i actually watched it yesterday which is kind of funny that we're oh, bringing yeah. it up right now um I, I thought it was good i thought it was okay for for what it is but yeah, yeah I've had the it is good but there's yeah, yeah. Yes, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to <laughs> um, bring down any other films or anything, but right. I, I do hope that, that people do get to watch this film and not automatically dismiss it just because it's from Guatemala. Unfortunately, a lot of Latin American films don't get that same, they don't have that pristine or prestigious appeal as mm-hmm. European films, if we're being <laughs> entirely honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it's just been recently, actually, since uh, Del Toro and Cuaron and, and Iñárritu have slowly but surely brought some uh, attention to, to them, particularly Mexico's uh, filmography. But other than that, yeah, a lot of these Latin American films aren't necessarily in a lot of people's radar, sadly, which is why my, my podcast exists, to put it yeah. out there. <laughs> Well, I, I also think that that's part of what makes it so exciting that this is streaming on Shudder, which I think yes. that Shudder 
has done such an incredible job of curating picks from around the globe. I think that they do a really spectacular job, but the fact that they are making movies like this widely accessible, I uh, maybe on some on prime, but I just don't really see this movie fitting in anywhere on any of those other platforms in terms of what they tend to present or, or put the spotlight on and for shutter to be like to say, I think that horror fans are going to dig this, mm-hmm. that they're going to react positively to this story and this, this filmmaking, I think says a lot about shutter and how much they trust horror fans. And I think says a lot about horror fans that they are, reacting positively to this movie which you know like we said is minimalist doesn't necessarily fit within the 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 typical bounds of horror as you might expect right but it is it's a great ghost story and people are reacting well to it so right it certainly is a step forward and far better uh, than the the conjuring uh, one uh, the conjuring (laughs) adaptation of it on, on so many levels so yeah it's certainly worth watching Definitely. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back to the show. Hey everybody, George here, and I wanted to tell you about the membership drive we're doing for the Best Little Horror House in Philly Patreon. Uh, You hear me talk about it at the end of every episode during the plug section, but basically the Patreon is where you can support the show for just a few dollars a month while getting all kinds of great perks, including bonus episodes like spotlights on Begotten and Solaris, hot movie court action with legal thriller, Uh, We're doing a watch-along of X-Files and having a community discussion, video episodes, and an ad-free feed to avoid having to hear stuff like this very ad. Plus, this March, if you sign up at the $8 tier, not only are you going to get all the tier rewards we offer, we're even going to send you the best little horror pin in Philadelphia. If you follow us on social, you recognize the design. And I'm not going to tell you that it's a blend of Chucky and Gritty done by the excellent local artist Zach Woomer, but I will tell you that this orange Philadelphia monster will be your friend till the end. Okay, sign up today at patreon.com forward slash little horror PHL. And thanks to everyone who's already a supporter. Back to the show. To get into the actual movie. Mm -hmm. So it opens up with just these white credits on a black screen. But as I sort of mentioned earlier, I kind of alluded to this. The sound design in this movie is so, so, so important. And although you don't see anything right away, you can already hear prayers being whispered. Yes. So, so impactful. And... When we finally do get an image, it's multiple generations of well-dressed women, but things are not uniform. Uh, In fact, while the older women are praying fervently, the middle generation is looking askance and dejectedly whispering. And in the back, the youngest is silent. And as the camera pulls back, another group of women who are the um, the the workers of of uh, that work for this family, the staff for their for their home they sort of get, they pull into frame a little bit and Mm -hmm. the whispering intensifies and it slams to the title card. And it's this nice, quick, effective opening where you really can see that this is going to be a movie about the distinctions between class and generations. And he he does such a great job of sort of priming you for these themes before you really get anything else. Yes. That atmosphere, you immediately feel it without having to see anything, just like you said. And it all has to do with the sound. Uh, mm-hmm. yes, you, you do have the brain and, um, the way that the, the women are positioned, uh, their, their facial expression. That's another thing. The acting in this movie. Oh, um, it's great. 
Yes, phenomenal. And yeah, just the first shot, you immediately know. Uh, it, it gives you the atmosphere you're going to be in with for, for the rest of the film. And I guess it's the fitting and the best way to open a film then <laughs> um, <laughs> with, with the funeral, pretty much. Uh, with, yeah. with the awakening. So uh, which better way to start a horror film than to do it that way? Absolutely. And when we finally come back to the film from the title card, uh, it's a group of men in a room being instructed on how to behave at the former dictator, uh, General Enrique Monteverde's trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some nervous rumblings as they consider that basically any incarceration will be a life sentence for men of their age. And uh, the decades of oppression and cruelty towards indigenous peoples have obviously also resulted in uh, intense class stratification. This is the kind of thing that goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And I like how uh, Bustamante communicates this visually right away in this hallway shot where the genocidal general and his ilk are all chattering away in the bright lighting. But when it cuts, it's dark and the staff of the general are quietly moving through the hallways. And they just do same thing as, as the intro sequence where, you know, this this sort of separation between the the people who work for the general and the general's family is just so well communicated yes it's great absolutely and the fact that he took that approach and he made uh this film be told through the female perspective and again Mm -hmm. i'm not saying this to uh like yeah girl power no Uh, i'm (laughs) saying it in, in terms of what we have to deal with in such a patriarchal society right women are the one that have to put up with everything i mean <laughs> it, it's true and at the i think I, I was reading a few articles i've been fascinated with this film i have i probably i've lost count of how many interviews <laughs> with him i've read but he did mention that women at the end, end of the day particularly mothers and daughters they well in, in terms of mothers they're the ones that go out there looking for their lost children um again resembling la llorona again <laughs> which i'm i'm telling you this is just brilliant what he does <laughs> with this story uh, yeah. but yes women are the ones that go out there seeking their lost children and they are again we always get the short end of the stick particularly in mm-hmm. this patriarchal society and the fact that like you said, his his camera work in this, oh man, it, it's just genius. And how he was yeah. able to, you you open the film with the group of women, but you see their faces, you see their states of mind, psychologically, physically, everything. And then you go sideways right after the title and you just see the men again, like you said, <laughs> running away, but you only see the sideways aspect of it. Here, yeah. when first, of course, you see the women and everything that they've um, experienced and what's about to come too. So yes, again, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yep. <laughs> um, that night, the general is awoken by loud sobbing and running water, two things heavily associated with uh, La Llorona, mm-hmm. and he investigates gun in hand, but finds nothing. And man, just this, uh, I specifically want to call out this shot where uh, it's like looking in on two rooms at once. It's like camera angle pretty wide. Oh my goodness gracious. That looks good. And it's just stays there. 
So you know something's about to happen. It does not move. It just sits there. It, it, re- it gave me a lot. It reminded me a lot of The Invisible Man. Um, kind yeah. of like those shots that you just sit there at the window and you know something's there or is it? <laughs> you don't know. And it's exactly. just those buildups. Yes, such um, a great performance. They're just great. <laughs> just framework there. Right, right. And, and he's sure that this is a spy. And when his wife notices he's gone and follows after her or after him, uh, he almost shoots her and then tries to choke out one of the staff. And again, you know, speaking of women sort of bearing the brunt of the follies of men, this is this guy hears something that isn't there, almost shoots his wife and and chokes out a female member of his staff like and and they're all they all just have to shrug it off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and again, it, it's it's very. <laughs> I don't want to sympathize with with anybody, but it does go to the extent as well as what PTSD does to you to sure. some extent, because at the end of the day, what's getting this man are his past ghosts and and everything he's responsible uh, for doing. And again, yeah, the the what he's able to communicate in terms of uh, women the wife, his daughter, his granddaughter, what they have to encounter, what they have to go through. And I'm pretty sure we're just going to talk about another scene um, <laughs> later down the, the road. That's just one of those scenes that yeah, uh, <laughs> where all three of them, again, have to go through that. So it, it's certainly, yeah, I, I just, again, it's something, uh, like you said, we have to deal with it. And again, we yeah. have to like, you just exactly, I think those are the best words to use. We just have to rob it up and just continue living. Yeah. yeah. Nobody else heard the crying and uh, the staff discuss that they think it's La Llorona coming for him uh, in uh, a Mayan language that notably the family hasn't bothered to learn. Right. This is again, sort of uh, one of the, the stratification points where People who they they claim that they're like family to them, like they talk about uh, how one of them has been with them for so long, and and how oh they provided the roof over their heads, and they haven't bothered to learn the language that these people communicate in. Yeah, and 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 it just sort of shows how shallow a lot of the gestures that they might make. Uh, really are at their core. Yeah, it speaks volumes of, of the class differences and, of course, it, it, the class disparities and colonialism. Um, mm-hmm. They come, they take over their lands. You have to learn our language. Indigenous, the, the people that work with them know Spanish. They have to because that they're, they're, they're being oppressed and that's okay. what you have to do. You have to do what we say. You have to learn our language. You have to practice our religion. You have to do and live in our little world. And like you said, yeah, they've never bothered to, to learn the Mayan language. And they never will, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, it says a lot. The next morning, all the staff want to leave, scared of what's coming. But the general's wife, Donna Carmen, calls them all ungrateful, which is laughable. <laughs> That's, it truly made me laugh when she says they're all ungrateful. Um, it's just a job. It's just a job. And and uh, and she's like, you'll never find anyone who treats you as well as we do. And the, the daughter pleads with them to have pity since her father is so sick with Alzheimer's. But they stand firm and they say that they're going to leave. This is when we learn 
for if if you weren't already aware of the cultural context, this is when they sort of reveal that the trial that they've been talking about is about the genocide of the indigenous population. And we see the halting testimony of an elderly woman and the violence visited upon her village by the order of the general that forced them to flee into the mountains. And it's obviously very traumatic. And as she continues, the audience behind her starts to take on a new feeling as she recounts the story in front of everyone, especially as the camera pulls back and reveals more and more people watching. But she demands justice, which I think that is, is so important, the fact that she says, like, people are watching now. And so I'm not ashamed to tell my story as long as it comes to the point, like, the only answer to this story is justice. And mm-hmm. so that's what, that's what makes it worth it, um, which I, I think says a lot. She's also released from the stand as Witness 82, which, uh, one, I think indicates just how many people are willing to be on the record about these atrocities, but also I think is probably a reference to Victoria 82. Mm, interesting. That scene is perhaps my favorite scene of the whole film. It's, it's so, so powerful. powerful. Yeah. <laughs> and again, here we go. <laughs> I, I went uh, down my rabbit hole and went, uh, read interviews and so on. And apparently this is an actual survivor of the wow. event. And she asked that she was willing to be part of the film and she was willing to give her testimonial as long as they allowed her to tell her story. So what we see in this film, all those details... It's what she actually experienced. And again, which explains why it's such a powerful scene. Yeah. And it's shot so beautifully. And man, I I can't get over how, how, how this film, particularly this scene, has stayed with me since I first watched it. And after learning about that and, and learning that she is actually an, a survivor and this was actually her story. And I think um, some of the people that were sitting behind her are actual activists that are still seeking justice uh, for all the victims that that have um, that continue to experience a lot of traumatic, a lot of trauma and, and so on and so forth. So. Yeah, my my favorite scene of the film is this one, and yeah, it, it certainly when when they do um, dismiss her as as witness number eighty two again, like you said, it does speak volumes of the amount of people that have experienced this. But <laughs> they they just give her a number; they can't even call her by her name or, or anything like that True. either, which kind of like dehumanizes her in a way, and it was quite. Oh, I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, complicated emotions, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Outside the courtroom, Dr. Natalia Monteverde played two great... Uh, she is really... Uh, Sabrina De La Hoz is really just incredible in this movie. It's Everyone is kind of bringing the heat, but holy cow, I think that she's really uh, the star actor in this as far as I'm concerned. Yes. She's so good, but... She's lost in thought as a news team sort of provides some backstory and ties in the real life events. One thing that I didn't notice the first time that I did notice the second time through that really helps add to the sort of the sense of paranoia is the doctor gets given tea, but the bodyguard tastes it first because they're scared of poisoning, much like the general was scared of a spy the night before. Um, So a lot of, a lot of little sort of touches that really uh, add up to a, a nice 
nice focused movie. But back in the courtroom, despite the general's protests, um, the judge finds him guilty and states that the damage done is incomprehensible, not only to the direct victims, but to the social fabric of Guatemala, pointing out that a substantial portion of the deaths were under 12 years old. So basically a future generation of people affected an incomprehensible amount. It's really tragic, especially when you consider the numbers that we get are almost assuredly underreported just because of how many people aren't there to tell their story anymore. Exactly. And how they're, yeah, they're not there to tell their stories and others feel like there's no use to it. There's no use for it. Why am I going to expose myself? And, um, Even at at maybe they might think they're going to be an easy target or or anything of that sort that there's going to be no true outcome, no justice at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that number is way more astronomical. (laughs) Yeah. There is much rejoicing at this guilty verdict and the general appears to have a heart attack uh, getting rushed to the hospital. Dr. Monteverde is questioning herself and her familial ties and she asks her mother if she thinks that her father did it. And her mother immediately pushes back and says, oh, you believe these people who've clearly been paid to lie over your own father? Um, and the doctor has to kind of reckon with her own memories that substantiate the women's claims. And so it's, it's clear that there is this intergenerational conflict as the ripple effects continue to spread. You know, like you said, it's not you don't like want to sympathize with these people, but you can also see why she wouldn't want to believe her father capable of such abhorrent acts, especially when we see him like laying the charm on his nurse and whatever. And, and you know, her mom isn't exactly making it easy. She's asking her what side she's on. She's getting defensive and asking which of the commies convinced her to become a lefty instead of caring about justice or accountability. Yeah. And, and she insists that what's in the past is in the past and they need to move on to heal. But we, as an audience, and well, hopefully everyone in the audience knows that that's not the case, that there needs to be justice in order for healing to happen. Right. I think the film does a really good job. And yes, it doesn't necessarily make you sympathize. Well, it depends how you interpret the film, of course. Um, But it certainly does make you think. It leaves you in a, in a sense of um, um, contemplating what would you do in her shoes? Uh, what would you do if you were the daughter of this person? <laughs> how would you react? How, how would you, how, what would you do? Uh, okay, so if she finds out these events are true, what do you do? You know, it, it's always this, this conflict of, I don't want to say interest, but it, it's... <laughs> This dilemma of you don't choose who's your family, right? right so it, right. it's in a sense, it's like it's not like he's my friend. Yeah, whatever. I can just uh, no longer be associated with them. Right. This person's gonna be my father for the rest of my, my life. So what do you do about it? I, how do you react? How do you approach this? How how do you continue to live? And I think it first it starts when. Um, her daughter tells her that she's hearing all these rumors about her grandfather and people are talking and there's this gossip going on. And she, she tells her mother who in this case is the daughter of of the general. And again, it's having those family ties to people like this, that the film um, perfectly executes and leaves you contemplating as to 
okay, so what would you do? And, and, and it certainly, it leaves you thinking, but at the same time, you, you, you don't know what to do. Because I right. mean, me personally, if I were in those shoes, I frankly would not know what to do. I would probably I would probably do what she's doing, continue to care for family, and because she does care for him, she she like after he's, um, which I'm pretty sure we're gonna get into. She continues to care for him on a health basis, and as well as the mom. So, yeah, it's just a difficult position to be in. Difficult position. It certainly is. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Putting putting it mildly, even. Yeah. Uh, Sort of as you alluded to. While he's in the hospital recovering from his heart attack, the trial is annulled on a technicality, and mm. the general is released to his home, where his daughter is going to be his primary caretaker. There's a lot of stuff thrown at their vehicle as they enter the grounds, and one thing that I really like is there's sort of an absurd disconnect from reality, where Carmen is like, they hit us with paint, they're savages, when this guy literally did genocide. Exactly. One of the questions she asks is, oh, did they steal anything? Like, uh, well, and it was some of my jewelry or anything. I'm like, are you serious? Uh, uh, <laughs> the privilege of these people. Yeah. And, uh, and Carmen instructs the one remaining staff member, uh, Valeriana, to call up some people from her hometown that want to work. Again, very privileged to just say, yeah. call up some friends. We need new staff members. But the general is lying down, and a gust of wind blows the white drapes. Uh, again, uh, La Llorona sort of associated with a white dress. And it's really interesting to me how he kind of deconstructed it into its like sort of core elements and just littered them around in addition. You know, like they just kind of exist already setting up this incredible environment for it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and 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 that was certainly a memorable scene for me uh, as well. Particularly when it starts, uh, when the they 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 announce the annulment through uh, via television, and then yeah, they they he gets released from the hospital. They take him to his home, and yeah, the the disconnect <laughs> is certainly something that it's so unbelievable. But unfortunately, <laughs> it's true. Um, it's yeah. reality. And to see the power uh, that these people have in terms of politics and, and at one point even corruption, it, it speaks volumes of class disparities. And unfortunately, in this case, uh, the oppression that still continues uh, to um, haunt the indigenous people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so... In addition to this deconstruction of the the legend into its elements, it's also been magnified in a really interesting way because this is where the sound design really comes back into play. Now this huge crowd that's outside of the mansion protesting this release and this, this annulment of the, of the court case, instead of one wail, it's the lament of a huge crowd. Mm-hmm. And when the general looks outside, he sees their memorials it's a thousand ghosts of dead mothers, of children, of, of fathers as well. It's, it's, it sort of takes this, this story and really blows it up to cover so many people who are, are feeling the same emotions and, and despair that is associated with the ghost. Yes. And, and yeah, the number of people <laughs> you see out there is a slight 
little fraction of perhaps right. all the lives he is, his decisions and his orders have impacted. And I think <laughs> the introduction of what we consider here La Llorona is certainly another <laughs> powerful moment in, in the movie when, when she just stands out from the crowd. Uh, as, as difficult as you may uh, find that to be, just how she walks through them and it's literally like you said it's just a wave of, of people just mourning and, and grief and seeking justice for their loved ones yeah and when when she appears i internally cheered i don't know why <laughs> um but it, it was certainly one of those moments where i'm like yes please oh, yeah. <laughs> i need some justice here <laughs> come seek some justice on behalf of all the people that are surrounding you that's absolutely right and uh, and so alma does appear which for those of you who don't know her name means stole yeah. in spanish yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, she's she has long black hair she's clad in white dress they assume that she is from Mariana's hometown not turns out not to be the case but right. they don't know that yet and water seems to start running spontaneously around her as well. But Dr. Monteverde's daughter is immediately smitten and wants to grow her hair long and wear a dress like Alma and show her around. And there is, again, sort of um, a commentary on privilege happening here in terms of this girl who doesn't really know what happened and ignorance is bliss kind of uh, kind of attitude that she has where – She's very happy. She ha- she notices differences in their stations and everything, but is trying to treat them the same way, but also wants to appropriate their look and and take take pieces of their culture for herself. And and I think that there is the the youngest daughter doesn't have a ton of screen time, but the way that they use her is extremely effective, I think. I agree. Certainly. She's certainly that, that the only sign of, of hope of innocence of like non-malicious intent. I, I did like the fact that when, when she first comes in, the, um, Alma comes in, the, the little girl, she's very uh, like, oh, I like your hair. I want to have your dress. I want to do this. And again, she's the only happy and joyful spirit <laughs> person <laughs> in that, in that scene. And yeah. again, it's, her her child uh just being a child and like you said being ignorant and in a sense that you don't know uh any um when you're a kid you're just free and you're just being yourself and you just just want to be out there so yeah certainly like you said she's not on screen for lots of time but when she does appear uh she certainly serves her purpose we also get another really great framing shot as uh, alma settles in and we see uh, variana brushing her hair in another room through the box Mm -hmm. of the bed i also really like that the movie really reinforces the idea of stagnation without justice though because when valeriana asks how everyone at home is uh, alma just says they're there that it doesn't seem like people can move on without justice there is this sort of being stuck because of the way that ptsd and the associated ramifications of the actions done to you can hold you back yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's certainly, <laughs> uh, speak, yeah, if there's no justice, there's certainly no way you can heal. That's right. 
there's there's some more playing around with the trappings of uh, La Llorona with uh, Alma hanging her head over the bed and letting her hair drape down and soaking <laughs> her face in a tub of water with the camera submerged so she looks uh, drowned. But the next day, the family is sort of staring out the window as the protests have trapped them inside when some stones with pictures of the deceased wrapped around them shatter through the window. And in the panic, Sarah, the youngest daughter, seems to go missing. And when Dr. Monteverde finds her, it looks like Alma is drowning her. Though, again, we find out that she's just being taught how to hold her breath. Mm -hmm. And this is where we find out that um, from Sarah, even, not from Alma, that, um, that she had two dead children. Again, sort of using the pieces of this legend and and inserting them into this story in ways that feel very naturalistic. Yeah, just uh, to remind us that she's still roaming around and how the movie utilizes uh, the symbolism of water. Certainly a fascinating uh, way yeah. to do it from the sink and her just walking by and then automatically just uh, uh, go, turning on and... Yeah, the buckets of water, the pool, the bathtub, all just these little pieces of nuggets that um, are utilized just to remind us of, of the legend. Right, and the, this whole time, Bustamante is also really hammering home these themes that, that he wants to talk about as well. You know, um, To get back to sort of the way that women are put upon by men, mm-hmm. um, that night, the general wakes up to the sound of crying again and sees Alma swimming outside. And he hides when she comes in, then follows her. And it's it becomes sort of very surreal in that we're not sure if it's a dream or not, but we're kind of seeing through his perspective. And there's a layer of water on the ground, and Alma is washing her gown in an overflowing tub. Mm-hmm. And they stare at each other for a little bit until Carmen breaks the spell by turning on the light. And there's no water on the ground. And Alma is just a scared girl in the bathroom, cornered by the powerful man who employs her. Right. Oh, the, yeah, that was the scene I was talking about <laughs> earlier. <laughs> uh, certainly, uh, uh, yeah, it was a little a little creepy in that sense. But after a second watch, I don't know if you noticed that when Alma was sitting in, in the bathtub, and of course she has her back towards the camera, and she's like, she has the white dress. But at one shot uh, where she's looking back, she has the dress like in a form of like she's carrying a baby, so to speak. Oh, my God. I saw that. I was like, wow. It was just one of those shots that I was like, my mind just blew away. And and to just see that there was, was quite um again i was just fascinated by all of this but yeah, yeah if you get a chance just check that little scene out and she literally has to dress but she uh she stops she looks back and if you look at it it looks like she's carrying a child like a baby wow a great yeah. excuse to go uh, watch it again as far as yeah. i'm concerned <laughs> <laughs> um but yes again it, it's one of those uh, scenes that uh women <laughs> just another showcase of what yeah. women have to go through uh, and just to to see that he was actually aroused um to put it yeah in oh yeah that also was, i didn't mention it but uh i was like he's, wow. it's visible yeah and again we have to put up with it rub it off and continue living <laughs> Yeah, so unfortunate, and and Definitely. then how, how again it just speaks volumes of of the patriarchy and how it's so embedded in our psyche. Instead of of 
of him um, trying to change. Uh, you can't change people. I understand that. But uh, trying to deal this differently, uh, you always blame women for whatever happens. If, if we are in a domestic uh, violence incident, we, well, why didn't you leave or whatever? In this case, they have her change her, her dress attire. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Provocative about it. Uh, which, again, <laughs> here we go. It's just... I guess it, it, all of those little elements um, incorporated in this is, is what makes me love this film even more. Yes, I, I think it certainly does bring to mind the culture of sort of victim blaming and, uh, oh, well, yes. you, well, look at what you were wearing. You were asking for it. And it's like, it's literally the same outfit that literally everyone wears on the staff. Yeah. It's a uniform. Yeah. That's the, the whole point of it. <laughs> yeah, but she was, um, I guess, too provocative for him. So, well. Yeah, certainly uh, uh, a negative portrayal of uh, the the way that uh, this sort of thing is handled. But <laughs> the family tries to basically continue on normally, but the protests outside continue to hammer against the walls. It's just sort of an omnipresent reminder of the sins of the father, literally, uh, in this case, that that center idiom is being used. And um, as the protests continue, um, Carmen is finally starting to be affected by it as well. Uh, she wets the bed in fear after having a nightmare that she was running away from her husband's men. Mm-hmm. I love the scene where uh, Alma and Sarah are looking out the window and they get shooed away by Natalia, who looks at what they were doing and sees that there's a man staring up at them who looks just like the man on the missing poster. And this question that it embeds into your mind of like, first of all, a lot of people just go missing during genocides like this, where no one is, they never get confirmed dead. It's sort of assumed that that is what happened to them, but people just vanish, especially when there are like secret police and stuff like there were. And so it, it makes you ask this question of, is he a ghost from the genocide? Is he someone hungry for justice who has made his way back to the protests? You know, he's haunting them, but that phrase is so evocative and it covers so much. And, and this can kind of be applied to all of the meanings of haunting. Yeah. Which goes again uh, to, to, to say that, that I think this is becoming slowly, but surely my best type of horror films, the, the yeah. ones that are in your subconscious and uh, the ones that it's pretty much your, your past actions and, and what you've done earlier in, in your life that come back to haunt you uh, pretty much karma in a way uh, yeah. so, <laughs> in a way i mean i, I understand certain uh, aspects of it and, and so on and how revenge isn't always necessarily uh, the best way out blah 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 but when it comes to <laughs> uh, of genocide and, and to this magnitude just because yeah i think we're uh, allowed to uh exactly yes <laughs> uh, well, a little revenge i think seems yeah. within reason Mm-hmm. I love it. I love the fact that he has literally uh, the, the the his ghosts are literally physically outside protesting, yep. or those who are protesting on behalf of their loved ones, and then you have one inside the house as well. Um, That's right. So um, I think this is sweet revenge, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Carmen cries after having another nightmare. And the general discovers mold behind the bed, and he he attributes all their issues to that. But uh, Valeriana claims it's black magic, 
and attempts to cleanse him. And while cleaning the mold, Valeriana confronts Alma about not being from her hometown at all after hearing that her friends don't know her. And Alma reveals that she doesn't know her age, but that she comes from the deepest parts of the mountain near the military camps. And again, sort of just like with the the man that we saw outside, these vagaries kind of work for someone who has just been swept up by the path of war mm-hmm. and who might lose track of how old they are. You know, you're not necessarily keeping track of birthdays the same way when, uh, when you're in the middle of a civil war. And, but it, it, so it works for vagueness of, I have been swept up in this war, but also creates an ethereal and timeless feeling like she's indeed the soul of these Mayan people and that she really is there sort of like as this uh, time immemorium uh, vengeful spirit who is there to represent all the people who might just be swept up in the, in the path of war. Yes. Yes. Th- this is where we find out um, of who she is depends on how you want to interpret it. But uh, yeah, to, to, be La Llorona, of course. It's a legendary ghost that's been there, that that's existed for a, a lot of years, lots of decades. Right. So in that terms, I don't know how old I am either. Uh, but no, yes, it, 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 again. <laughs> oh my god, I, I know I sound like a book and record, but the way that he can incorporate all of this and into the film again, it's just brilliant. Definitely. Um, like my brains have been like <laughs> I haven't been able to find them for a while because I've been <laughs> mind blown time after time well this is the movie that'll do it to you yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, that night still sort of transfixed by the idea of being underwater like Sarah has over and over again be like oh she's, talk- she's teaching me how to hold my breath she's fascinated with the water mm-hmm. um, Sarah steals her grandfather's oxygen tank and submerges in the pool. And the first time that I saw this, I was like, oh, she's on the right side of history. She's trying to kill him. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> no, she's just trying to go and swim. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the bodyguard is up, but he gets led away by two small children, uh, sort of implied to be the spirits of Alma's kid who lead him away. And this allows the general to sort of wake up because the, because the bodyguard isn't there to stop the, the daughter, Sarah, um, this allows the general to wake up confused and shoot at his granddaughter in the pool, clipping her arm. Mm-hmm. Sarah, well, first of all, a plague of frog appears. <laughs> There's yes. a, whole, a whole heap of them. And while the family is looking at them, a group of kids appear draped in shadow in the backyard while the sobbing starts up again. And really... You know, like we said, it's been sort of minimalistic up to this point where they let the sound design do a lot of the work in terms of creating that atmosphere. But in this last sort of handful of minutes, you know, they really ratchet things up and it does get legitimately creepy with like the kids out hanging out in the backyard and just draped in shadow. I think it's pretty creepy. I think so, too. Uh, I think that... Everything that that, that um, happens in that scene, and particularly with with the wife um, and the dreams that she's having, and, and yes. how she starts to pretty much be in in the shoes of these people. At, at first, I was thinking, again, it, it's open to interpretation because he doesn't necessarily clear up if she is actually was part 
of, of, of this uh, genocide and everything. And she just happened to marry him to find a way to get out of this. Or right. if this is actually a uh, uh, La Llorona or the spirit putting this, I think it's more of, a, of, of what I'm about to say now. Um, putting this in her head so she can actually feel what it's like to be yeah. in their shoes, particularly after uh, the second dream and the sequence and how it ended. So in that term, I think it is certainly, again, I think the one of the best type of horrors is having to, for you to place yourself in other people's shoes, particularly in these type of incidents. You're literally running for your life. Otherwise, you're going to die. And that shot and those sequences of seeing, it was so, it was very difficult for me to see this. But when you have the row of children, um, their bodies on the floor um, in the dream sequence, right? that was hard to swallow, hard to watch. Um, uh, maybe because I'm a mother and I have kids. I don't know. I think anybody would be, would be uh, bo- not bothered, but it w- wouldn't be easy to watch. Right. And, and for you to see that, for you to dream about that and to actually experience it and be there, I think that's the best type of horror <laughs> that, you, that you can yeah. experience in that sense. And, and certainly um, we did have a lot of that in this film. But yeah, no, to bring it back to, to the end, to that third act, it certainly did. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we were going like at a really good, steady, um, what can we say? Like, I don't know, uh, like a speed limit. And then all of a sudden, it just jumps up. <laughs> it jumps up out of nowhere. <laughs> and then it's just like, bam. And yeah, it certainly, it worked for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree that it is, it's very satisfying for this sort of the pain and misery and, and trauma that they've inflicted now to be revisited back yeah. on them is, is very satisfying, especially for it to be specifically for her to be in the shoes mm-hmm. of the people going through it and to say, it's not just equivalent. You now have to deal with exactly this. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it, it's poetic justice, I think, as, as close as you can possibly get. Yes. I also think that it is interesting that when... Sarah says that like the sobbing is Alma crying for her kids and that she's known the general for a long time, which first of all, also very creepy and also indicates that she is in fact a ghost. But um, Valeriana gathers everyone together to entreat their ancestors to protect them and get the other spirits to show pity. But one that I specifically want to call is that she says that if they have a debt with the general, it's not fair for innocence to pay for the consequences and it's the idea of like that being the um, the appeal here mm-hmm. when so many innocents have already paid the consequences on his behalf. Right. I, I just thought it was really interesting that there is sort of this um, I don't I don't want to say like blinders on, but it just doesn't feel realistic <laughs> like the way that they treat this guy's crimes because it does sort of feel so grand, like on, on a grand scale, it's almost hard to comprehend how much damage one person did. Yeah. Uh, it, it certainly is. And it does not, unfortunately, it's not surprising. Uh, and I think it's, it's so difficult uh, to, to try to collect my ideas when, when it comes to, uh, the the impact he had and it's 
such a huge, huge impact, um, not only to uh, testimonial number 82, which again, that's a lot of people. Yes. And if you add those who were actually dead, and I think they were giving stats um, that 30% or 35% were children under 12 years old. And right. you see the visual, you, you get a visual on, on the dream. So on top of that, it's very, it's difficult to try to get a whole grasp of, of everything he's done, everything he's responsible for, even though he probably didn't physically do it himself his decisions and his orders certainly did yes and it is it, it is at times quite difficult to grasp the, the the idea the magnitude of it but again it, it just speaks volumes of not knowing what a lot of these indigenous genocide because there's been so many around the world this is just one of the very 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 few <laughs> that, that, that we currently know and unfortunately it, it's at times I don't know maybe subconsciously we don't really want to um, fully not, not accept it but even think about it because the tragic the tragedy of it the, the grand scheme of it it's just so painful it's so unfortunate yeah. that hard to reckon with exactly and I guess this is where where I once again um, I am fascinated by uh, the, the del toro aspect of it the Guillermo del toro and to reflect that in reality, the real monsters and the real villains in this world are actually people and not necessarily ghosts or, or legends or, or stories and so on. So yeah. just to see that that grand scheme of it, it's certainly uh, very difficult to, to, to yeah. even think about. Yeah. Um, Carmen from In the Dream Sequence, uh, she's choking out the general. And when we cut back to reality, uh, she is atop him doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he does he does die, right. and uh, at the general's funeral, another general walks into the bathroom, mm-hmm. and now he hears a sob from the vent, and the water starts to rise from the urinals and flood, and it cuts to black as we hear a scream of my children, and you're just, it's just what an incredible ending! This sort of like all right, on to the next one who was responsible. Like it's so satisfying to be like yes this it's not just the one person everyone who is involved in this catastrophe needs to be held accountable absolutely and fitting that we end the film the same way we start with the funeral and that yes next one (laughs) next on her list and and go for it i would not mind seeing sequels of this um because certainly (laughs) it's something i'd definitely be up to watching but and the song over the end credits kicks ass too. Yeah. It's, it's Absolutely. So like you don't know. <laughs> I love it. I love everything about it. And yeah, just best way to end this and such justice. And sadly the government's not giving it to me, so I have to take matters in my own hands. Yeah. That's right. That's absolutely right. And now, Rosa, we reach the part of the episode where we sum up why this is not just a good horror movie but is in fact the best horror movie, whatever that means to you. And uh, I'll let you start. 
Yes, this is the best horror movie, in my opinion, because of the social commentary aspect of it. Uh, because it, it's a raw and unfortunate reminder that the true villains, the true uh, monsters on this earth are men, are human. <laughs> Uh, majority of the times men um (laughs) so it's certainly a a movie that no it does not uh, benefit from those jump scares mainstream hollywood has so much um spoiled us with uh this is more of a realistic horror film realistic in terms of what a certain demographic in this case indigenous people everything they've had to encounter um and everything they continue to encounter and unfortunately will continue to encounter because of people like this general because of people uh who think that they are um, subhuman on, on a level just because of their skin color, because of the culture, because of how they speak, how they look. Um, and unfortunately, if we uh, continue uh, to ignore uh, these type of ideals and these type of mindsets, then it's just not going to get any better. And I think it, it's also like I just said, one of the best horror films because it, it's it's pretty much a mirror of society and, and how these powerful people can oppress uh, demographics, minority groups in, in, in a sense. And it's unfortunately relevant because like I said, in one of those scenes, you have people who are still advocating for justice, for, for their loved ones, for their ancestors. So it's relevant and it's a more realistic look to the horrors of humans. Yeah, I totally agree. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because although I'm not particularly religious, I grew up Jewish and you know, you hear every time that Holocaust Remembrance Day comes around, you hear never again, never again. And unfortunately, that's not the case. You know, so many times people and indigenous groups in particular are taken advantage of and the idea that these kind of things happen and you just, people just don't even hear about it. We are, we're connected like never, like never before. And we can, we can learn so much, but things like this still sort of slip under the radar that, you know, I, I, I had never heard of the silent genocide prior to this movie coming out. And that is what this movie is representing and and why it's so important is is because it shows how impactful movies can be and how horror movies in particular are able to reflect some of the more serious thought-provoking issues that people need to examine and it would be one thing if the movie just did that but the fact that it is also an incredibly well done on a technical level movie has some freaking great performances and is scary through the sound design and deliberate placement of imagery instead of just jump scares. I think to me, that's what makes this the best horror movie ever made. Thank you so much for coming on Rosa. This was so much fun. And I really want to encourage people 
to have them check out your podcast. So please tell people where they can find your work. Thank you for inviting me. This this was certainly a treat. Yes, uh, my podcast, Latin Excellence, is found on every uh, podcast platform. And we are also on every social media platform at Latin Excellence. And then my personal um, social media account, I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, at Rosas Reviews. And again, thank you. This, this was such a treat. And, and thank you for allowing... Um, for lining your platform to talk about one of these films because it's certainly again not not talked about enough and and it is certainly one that deserves uh, to be seen yes a- absolutely I, I was thrilled to do it i am very hopeful that we'll be hearing more about this movie uh, as the oscars draw closer um and uh you know people keep an eye out for it like i said this is a story in progress so uh who knows what uh, what the future holds for their La Llorona. And um, as far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. Um, you can also find me on Patreon if you want to support the show and get great stuff like bonus episodes, including an awesome one about Solaris. And uh, sometimes there will even be uh, video episodes as well when, uh, when we feel like doing that sometimes. So keep an eye on the Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash LittleHorrorPHL. And rate and review the show if you're enjoying it. Uh, That's it. Thanks again, everyone. Bye.